Hello, you're listening to season two of Everyday Creative People. I'm your host, Dina Adrians, and this podcast is all about the question, what does it mean to live a life driven by curiosity, creativity, and love over fear? Each week, you can tune in to hear me discussing various topics related to this question with leaders, artists, and entrepreneurs who are each living out this pursuit in their own unique ways. When you've finished listening to today's show, please take a moment to subscribe to future episodes and rate the podcast leave a comment, and tell a friend. You can find all the show notes over at dinaadriance.com slash ecppodcast. Now settle in, get comfy, and enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of Everyday Creative People. I am so excited to share with you today my guest, Kristen Richardson-Jordan, who is a dear friend and former colleague. Kristen is a book printing poet, teacher, teaching artist, and writer. And I know Kristen because we started working together like, I don't know, five years ago, maybe? Running theater-based girl empowerment workshops through Girl Be Heard and worked together for a few years there. And... Kristen, in her sort of poetry, teaching artist work, runs her own independent publishing company called Pens Up Press, where she sells books, publishing contracts, word art, other products. Um, She also coordinates the Uproar Poetry Group, which is an online platform for activist poets. And through that, she runs senior poems and senior current event workshops uh, at two different senior centers in Harlem. She's also the found the co-founder of Freedom Love Birthright, which is a writing and community theater program youth program in the spirit of African and African American ancestry. Kristen is passionate about social justice. She's a seasoned activist. And in addition to all the other stuff that she does, she has participated in the past in the Answer Coalition, Harlem Cop Watch, um, a socialist reading group, a whole bunch of different things. And I'm excited to just chat with Kristen today about creativity and activism and writing and life. Kristen, welcome to Everyday Creative People. Hi, Dina. Thank you for having me on the show. I'm excited to be here. You're so welcome. Um, So, Kristen, let's see. To start off with, can you share... Well, first of all, is there anything from your bio that or like that you feel like was missing from your bio that I didn't say? No, actually, I think I think you did a really good job of capturing the different pieces of work that I do. You know, sometimes as creative people, we have multiple jobs and we wear multiple <laughs> hats. <laughs> and, um, and that has definitely been my life. And it's it's the way I um, enjoy having it. So mm-hmm. uh, a lot of times when people ask me, kind of the short version I just say that I am an author an activist and a teacher uh, mm. and I think those elements were, were already in there in what you yes shared. and I was gonna say I feel like there's a million different things that you do but like those are really the core elements yes yeah so when did you start writing like as a fun thing. Oh my not goodness. Not just for school. <laughs> oh my goodness. I, I started so young. I was very into writing. I um, When I was younger, I kept a diary. And then 
as I got older, I decided a diary was somewhat lame. So I called it a journal, <laughs> but it was basically still a diary. And, and there are parts of my life where I wrote more than others, but I have pretty consistently been a writer. And I'm just uh, one of those people who who likes to jot things down every day, even if it's just something that was floating in my head. And, um, and then especially if something in life happens, like in my life, every time something has happened, my uh, go-to has been writing poetry mm. and journals. And it is, it is my way of processing my emotions and my feelings and tuning into the world around me. Uh, and I think for a lot of writers, we find it to be a, a sort of like natural thing, almost like breathing because it's, it becomes something that's like an outlet and a source of health and wellness for us, you know, as well as for other people. Yeah. Uh, so from when, when I was really young, I mean, even in kindergarten, I have like notebooks of like some very rough poems, but <laughs> some poems nonetheless. <laughs> yeah. I, I have to say, you know, I am definitely not a poet in in anywhere close to the way that you are but I also have notebooks from when I was about <laughs> 11 12 13 filled with some very rough poems <laughs> I, think it, I, I think it's beautiful you know I've done um I've done these literacy workshops at Harlem Boys and Girls Club and one of the groups I'm working with are five and six year olds and they're oh my gosh they're, it's they're adorable and the work that comes out at that age I mean we are creative I mean I just think humans were naturally so creative and then sometimes it gets we grow out of it or or sometimes to be perfectly frank it gets sort of beaten out of us but yeah I um uh I think like we have that natural inclination to process the word through through art and creativity yeah mm. yeah absolutely so do you feel like uh, f at what point did your writing um really start to take more of an activist focus oh so that's that's a great question i would say in high school okay. um in high school i took this class that was a creative writing class and it was the first time it had been offered at my school uh, before that there was you know sort of a standard English and everything uh, but this class for creative writing we talked about the artist's voice and passion mm. and uh, what your interest areas were and we also um, for the first time actually I began to study poets and so I started to fall in love with these, this artist's voice of uh, various like activist poets, um, particularly like black activist poets and, you know, reading some of the works of Langston Hughes and Gwendolyn Brooks and Maya Angelou. And, and then I started to apply that to my own life. And I, have, I had always been someone who was into uh, community and community service and politics. And I had also been interested in writing, but I would say that that course in high school with this very clear question of what is going to be your artist's voice mm. is um, that's when I started setting the intention and really m 
melding those two worlds and, hmm. and having that that voice of an activist artist. Yeah. Do you, is that something that you try to incorporate in the workshops that you do with artists of all ages and levels? Yeah, I think, uh, I think this question of your voice is, is really important, you know, um, sort of that mission and purpose, that passion area of, of, uh, being an artist, but why are you an artist, you know? being creative and writing, uh, but why are you writing? And what is it that you want to share with the world? What's your impact yeah. and your point and your point of view, you know? And mm. it's gonna be different for every person. I mean, that's part of the cool part of uh, working with students and even with writers uh, through Pens Up Press, you know, those are more seasoned people, a bit more professional adults looking to publish their work. But everyone has a point of view and a point and purpose to why they create the work that they do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So actually, speaking of pens up, I'm curious, like, I don't actually know when you started pens up. And one thing that I find really interesting about sort of your um, approach to work is that you really, I think, have for a while have had sort of an entrepreneurial approach and sort of DIY and putting together multiple different pieces. And I'm curious, like, how did how did you get started on that? Like, what made you decide to even be like, hey, I'm going to start my own press? <laughs> <laughs> well, I definitely, I definitely have an entrepreneurial and DIY spirit. There's no doubt about that. And, um, and I love working with authors who have that as well. And uh, so, so to be honest, it started because I was working at New York Public Library. And I was doing a, a workshop there with other poets. And we were talking about publishing a collection of our work of all the mm. different poems from um, this uproar poetry workshop that was actually the the beginning of uproar and oh my goodness how how far back was that at this point that might have been about eight years ago at this point okay and I um uh, I, I was looking around at different platforms because I and these other poets wanted to publish and uh, we all had very strong feelings about keeping uh, creative control of our work and keeping our own copyright to our work. Um, so as I was looking around at different platforms, I found that there's this traditional publishing route where you go, uh, you sort of go ahead and you submit query letters and you see if you could get a traditional publisher to take you on. Uh, in which case you often do wind up having to change some things according to their editor. And a lot of times the copyright is not actually in the author's name, it's in the publishing company's name. So I had some quorums and issues with navigating that space. Uh, there also winds up being things with the profit and the division of profits where, mm. you know, authors will get, you know, sense on a book that they've written. Um, Jeez. And, and so, yeah. And so the vast majority will go to these publishing companies. So 
the activist and certainly the socialist part of me was like, <laughs> no way, <laughs> just no way. And uh, so then I started looking at some other platforms and the other uh, platforms I found were something like Lulu or CreateSpace. And those are all well and good, but they do not give you much help. So they will give you a platform to publish your work, but they won't give you much help with it. And you won't uh, really be supported on the marketing end. It's how we wind up with a lot of us as um, authors or a lot of first time published works uh, don't go anywhere. So people use some of these platforms and even pay quite a bit of money for the platforms and then the work isn't actually um, being seen by the public. Uh, so I was navigating this whole world of publishing and was pretty disgusted with it. And so I, I threw up my hands and said, you know what, I think I can do this better. So I started Pens Up Press and I talked with some of the poets that were in Upward Poetry at the time about doing our first publication. And the first publication of Pencil Press was called No Limits, and it was a poetry anthology. And it really did pretty well for something that was uh, independently published. And it was really nice to have creative control of the project for authors to each have their work copywritten um, to them. And uh, at the same time, have that support because we were working collectively. So it, it wasn't like you're sort of in it alone. And that's that was the birth of Pens Up Press. And so since then, I've been working with authors to publish their work independently, uh, but doing it as a team. So it, it winds up really being a community, all supporting each other. And you're not, you know, you're, you're not sort of a uh, subject to whatever the, the big boys are doing with the traditional publishing route, but you're also not just in it alone by yourself kind of trudging along. Uh, it's that independent space and that sort of collaborative group space. So that's that was the birth of Pencil Press. And then particularly for authors of color, I wanted it to be a platform to share work for those who are not traditionally seen and honored in the publishing industry. Uh, to get our voices and our stories out there, which is also it's it's also important and um, is certainly under resourced. Mm. So when you decided to create this publishing platform, like did you just learn everything you needed to know on the internet? How did you had like I would have no idea how to even begin doing something like that. Well. I Oh, well, I actually, I, I learned through a variety of channels. I did, I did learn quite a bit of it on the internet. Uh, I did also read a ton about publishing, self-publishing, independent publishing, and traditional publishing. And I, um, and I attended this uh, expo, it was the uh, Self-Published Authors Expo that was uh, here in New York, and I believe they have it every year. And I, uh, I've just been learning, learning through that and also learning as I grow, learning as the business grows. Uh, but one of the things I'm very grateful for is I went to a pretty alternative school uh, for high school. It was 
uh, the Calhoun School, it's here in New York, and they really um, encourage, they really encourage their students on, on learning in the sense of, of how to learn, like how to pick up new, new skill sets and how to explore new territory, which I think is all part of creativity. And, uh, you know, that ability to say, oh, I'm interested in this topic, so let me go see what are some books that are about this, what are some articles that are about this. And there's a whole wealth of information um, and then thanks to uh, some of my educators, I've, I've learned how to discern pretty well the, uh, I guess, the, so the sources that, that have correct information. So it's definitely been a journey and a process, and it's one I'm, <laughs> and it's one I'm still in, but I have, I've learned so much along the way. Yeah, that's such a gift. Um to receive that in your education around like developing the skills and the awareness that you can just follow your interests and learn how to do pretty much whatever you set your mind to if you absolutely know how to sort of approach it yeah, absolutely. And talking to people too, you know, I, I had, um, I spoke to um, uh, Jennifer, who's the owner of Sisters Uptown Bookstore, and she had been, she's been in the book business for decades. And Sisters Uptown is the oldest Black-owned bookstore in Harlem. And uh, I had conversations with her and about publishing companies that she's worked with. And so I think, I think it's also, you know, getting out there and being willing to ask the questions and, and speak to people. I mean, certainly anyone listening to this who has an interest could feel free to reach out to me. Um, and I think there's, there are people, some of us out here who, who really are interested in helping authors succeed and helping writers succeed. Mm. It's also the power of living in community. Yes, I think absolutely. I think I, I actually think that that's yet another gift that you received in your life of growing up in a community like Harlem, where oh, there are absolutely. so many of these resources and like sources of inspiration. Oh, yes, and, absolutely. and, and people willing to I, I think Harlem has like a very community focused spirit in that sense. Um Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's beautiful place. I'm I am so biased, but I, <laughs> but I I think Harlem is absolutely phenomenal. You know, I'm a I'm a third generation Harlemite. Wow. So so there's absolutely a sense of community that I grew up with with um, having my family and having roots in in Harlem, and then knowing some of the community here. And it's definitely informed my art. I mean, it's informed a lot of my mm. work and my connections as well. I can imagine. That's awesome. Um, so speaking of self-publishing, you recently published your, I think, second book of poetry. Yes. Is that right? Yes. Tell me about that book. Okay. So this uh, most recent, my most recent book, I put it out in January and it's called Water and Light, Shoes Love Now. 
and it's based on my experience with a very toxic relationship uh, with my ex-wife, uh, but also but also that journey of uh, self-discovery, self-growth, uh, loving myself, and reconnecting to my own true authentic self, and then through that, forming relationships that are are based on love with this idea of love as respect. Um, and also talking about love in a larger sense of, of community and love of humanity and uh, even extending to my ex as well, that, that sense of um, love for all living people uh, and all living things. So it does have a political bent and it does talk about um, some of that, that black female power, which is, is so much a part of my work in general. It was part of my work in my first book, Mules Fight Back. Uh, but I would say it's, it's very, uh, it's grown spiritually and that water and light is, is about like that, that growth to love ourselves and love other people, uh, which is a forever journey in some sense. Um, yeah but i i think it's it's what connects us that makes us stronger you know i think at the highest level all of humanity is one and so some of that is also uh touched on in sort of a spiritual sense in the book hmm. would you be willing to share one of your pieces definitely i have i have a couple pieces i could share i don't know what our our time is but we got time. Let's got let's time. start with the first one, um, and then we'll we'll go with, we'll go from there. Okay, I want to share one of my pieces is titled "Black Panther Women." Real Black Panther women were not celebrated at the box office, though they were warriors of their communities, like the women of Wakanda. But unlike the women in the movie Black Panther. These real-life Black Panthers were labeled too loud, too rude, too crazy, or too angry after standing up for themselves in the 70s. They were finding themselves, molding themselves, and helping to shapeshift this world at the same time. When they share lessons now, they are called bitter. When they protected themselves back then, they went to jail. The truth is, real Black Panther women meaning women of the Black Panther Party, were not celebrated. They were labeled too loud, too rude, too crazy, or too angry after standing up for themselves in the 70s. They faced violence in so many ways. They faced violence on verbal, emotional, physical, and spiritual levels. They faced violence on interpersonal, institutional, intercultural levels and did not call the police. And sometimes the violence was the police, even some violence from leaders who were supposed to fight for them, not fight them. And there was no Wakanda-like technology, only a black spirituality, which is more than enough. But still, casualties and sacrifices are real. Truth is, real Black Panther women were not celebrated. And despite the blacklisting of these freedom fighters, the erasure of the backdrop of violence they were fighting through, the black holes in our history and the lack of positive intentions where black lives are concerned. They were peaceful people. They were guided by love. 
The truth is this nation has had confused news and real alternative facts and clan views for centuries, right up to and including today, this morning, yesterday, now. Because the truth is women who act like Black Panther women, real or Wakandan, in real life are not celebrated. Though they are warriors of their communities like the women of Ferguson, they are often labeled too loud, too rude, too crazy, or too angry for standing up for themselves. Like the women of the Baltimore Uprising, when they share lessons, they are called bitter. When they protect themselves, they go to jail. And despite the fact that these women act in self-defense, they are called violent. They are peaceful people. They are guided by love. They love, forgive, have soft voices, get overwhelmed, make mistakes, speak up, help those most oppressed, look out for themselves, clam up, start over. They do all these things, even with all these labels, even while building their self-worth, even while knowing the worth of each and every single human life. And still, they are not celebrated. I'm sorry to future Melissa Alexanders, Asada Shakurs, and Harriet Tubman's to future real Black Panther women and those like them who are babies now. We are gifting you a world that is still not ready for you yet. We are doing the best we can. You will have to find yourself though, mold yourself and help shapeshift this world at the same time. And yet I have no doubts that you will do a beautiful job. And I promise you this, I will celebrate you. Mm. What prompted you to write that? So this this piece, Black Panther Women, is a mesh of thoughts and feelings that uh, came to me after seeing the movie Black Panther. And uh, because I have I, I did black studies in school and I have studied about Black Panthers, like the actual historical political group Black Panthers, I couldn't help but start making some connections between these Black Panther women who were depicted on TV in the movie Black Panther and Black Panther women who were, were who were historically women who were part of the Black Panther Party. And to connect to this idea of, of celebration around that and uh, uh, image and, and judgment around that and in terms of a, a honoring of women and Black womanhood. And I wanted to get at this idea in general about women uh, who are labeled too loud or too rude or too crazy or too angry um, in the face of standing up for themselves, you know? And that's why I pulled in some more modern day examples as well, because I wanted to draw this parallel of women who were in the Black Panther Party who were fighting for liberation and at the same time fighting some of the internal dynamics in the party, uh, at the same time experiencing some forms of violence and sometimes sexual abuse and sometimes physical abuse, not only by those within the party, but by the outside world. And then in a system that didn't uh, validate their humanity or um, address those ills. And I wanted to draw parallels between that and some of our modern day examples like Melissa Alexander, who uh, shot a warning shot into the ceiling um, after uh, surviving years of domestic violence. And um, 
and was arrested, you know, in the same state that let George Zimmerman go because of the stand your ground law. Uh, Melissa Alexander was not allowed to go after um, doing a warning shot and having suffered physical abuse. So I, I wanted to highlight some of that, some of that uh, resistance um, that is alive and and that is, you know, present in our communities and some of that tension that a lot of uh, Black women and young Black girls face uh, and women in general face, you know. And I ended it with talking about, I promise I will celebrate you and uh, reaching out to young girls because I want us to shift as a society in, in terms of how we look at these things. Um, and how women are treated. So that that was all sort of in this poem, Black Panther Women. And then my experience, my own personal lived experience is in here as well. And I, I talk about that in the book that um, having been, having experienced domestic violence and then uh, defending myself. And I don't know, I mean, I, I, I don't know how much of it comes through in this particular poem, but I certainly identify because I've been very politically involved. Um, I did experience domestic violence. I was falsely arrested uh, and those charges were, were vacated, but it was, um, they were dropped by the DA, but it was a, a really tough experience. And that's the, the experience of multiple women, including Melissa Alexander, including um, some women who who have been arrested for for domestic violence cases, where they are actually the victims in these cases, and uh, and so I wanted to speak to that overall trend going on in our society as well. Hmm. Yeah. I I'm glad you um you brought in that personal piece because I was. Uh, I was curious about that, actually. Um, I think you, uh, I mean, I, th I do think you write personal stuff, but you also, the activist in you, I think, writes a lot that is uh, about, I think you have written a lot about things that are going on in the world and linking in history to today and a lot of like, messages for other people like in this piece you know you talk about this is for the women who are to come right who are babies yeah. now and I'm curious if there's if in all of that sort of speaking to others there's also some level of speaking to yourself absolutely absolutely I mean I think um oh my gosh I think this 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 book in so many ways has been me speaking to myself you know mm. I, th I think we um I think in some ways like we have multiple selves right so we have like the adult us and we have the activist us and then we have the inner child mm. us and we um have the more vulnerable side of us and uh a lot of a lot of the poetry that I write that is is for others and is for young women um, 
was uh was also for myself you know i told people that i wrote this book for a younger me hmm. and that is very much the case uh but in some sense, it's also a book written for my own inner child. Yeah, I mean, you wrote most of these pieces, if not all of these pieces, while going through, I think, an incredibly tough time in your life, possibly the toughest time in your life. I certainly, certainly one of the toughest times in my life. I, I, um, I, I didn't know how else to process the experience, quite frankly, because I am a writer and a poet. Uh, and as I was saying earlier, this has always been my my process and my outlet is that uh, is that poetry. So um, that like when I uh, when I left um, just to give just to give context, I had um, an ex-wife who used to call me names, who would insult me, um, and who would throw objects at me. And I made a ton of excuses and for that. Uh, but when I decided to leave, um, she filed false charges and got me arrested in the same precinct that I do cop watch in. Um, and though those were fake, both the experience of the marriage itself and and then the trauma of leaving the marriage and going through a false arrest uh, definitely had an impact on me. And I would say one of the things that I'm grateful for, and I know that sounds a bit odd in the face of trauma to say um, that I am grateful, but I, I am actually very grateful for is the community that I have found around me and some of the women that I've talked to and connected with who um, unfortunately because of of this world and and some and some of the factors in it have suffered similar things um, that I have found connection and growth and healing and inspiration there and also have found out a lot of my own personal inner strength I can imagine. Yeah. I mean, I think it, 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 I I hear your point about like maybe it seems weird to to find gratitude, but I think I'm a pretty firm believer that often that's the only way that you can come through some of those really challenging times is to to seek the bright spots, to um actively practice gratitude. Yeah. So I think that makes perfect sense. <laughs> um, what is your process for like, you know, from sort of the initial idea through to final product? Oh, well, you know, I think, um, I think it's, it's, it's different with every book, you know, with, with Mules Fight Back, I had a lot of poetry that was activist poetry already. And I, I actually put it together in a weekend, really, because I had so much stuff, I just sorted through and read a whole bunch of poems and decided which poems and stories were going in that book. Um, for Water and Light, a lot of it was, uh, a lot of it is written 
uh, in the in chronological order um, because it relates to my lived experience and even the poems like the one I read about Black Panther women that is is about uh, society and women in general still relate to my experience and kind of flow in the book in a certain order. Um, for the most part, I was writing in that year after leaving my ex. And so a lot of it, uh, a lot of it was written in order. Um, I don't, I don't say, I wouldn't say I have like a particular process, except I would say that the first thing I always do is write everything and write without, uh, write without restriction, like write without censoring myself, which is something I encourage for my students also, is to try to break down and break away from self-censoring and just get it all out there and put it all out there. And then to go back and read through and comb through and tighten it up um, and to uh, cut the fat, I like to say, where you, because where poetry is concerned, you're looking for the essence of the message. So I, uh, so I would say if anything, it's that it's getting it all out and then going back and reading through and cutting the fat and tightening it up. Hmm. Do you have like go-to people who you always, uh, seek out for feedback on your work? Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. I, I do. I have, um, uh, I have a couple like writer friends who we, we will exchange poems and we'll exchange mm. work and, um, and encourage each other and also give each other that tough feedback. So it's good to have a couple people in your corner who, in your corner who, who are, willing and, and sort of do that for them. I would say my biggest feedback though, uh, has been online posting. Hmm. And I, I have, uh, because I will post something on my blog or post something online on Facebook and sort of witness and see, um, some of the comments, uh, not so much the likes because I'm not too attached to the likes. And I also, don't understand Facebook algorithms. And I think sometimes <laughs> like some things are seen more than others. I don't know if it actually relates to, you know, if people even really like or don't like the work, but the comments and um, even more importantly, the messages I pay close attention to, you know, when mm. someone reads a poem and they message me and say, I really saw myself in that piece, which is a message I've gotten. Or like, wow, this this particular piece really made me think. Uh, I take that as feedback for that piece to go somewhere significant in the book, you know. Um, hmm. So, so listening. So I listen to to readers and public in general, and then I do have a couple, like I said, close friends. I'm part of a writers group called uh, Harlem Neighborhood Writers. And um, a few of the folks in that group I've really connected to, and we we will exchange work and give each other that that feedback. Mm. That's so important yeah. to have that it, it is community it is. around you. Um, cool. Well, thank you so much for for sharing your work and and your journey and your process. Um, 
before we wrap up, uh, two things. First of all, where can people seek you out um, if they want to learn more about you, about your work, if they want to check out the various things that you do? So I, w- I would say the best site to go to is Pens Up. Uh, so that's pen like a writing pen, pensup.com, P-E-N-S-U-P.com. And uh, there is there a link to my own personal website, which is kristinrichardsonjordan.com. And there's some general info about me, uh, as well as if you're a writer wanting to publish, how you could go about working with us to do that. Awesome. Um, so before we do a final wrap up, would you be open to sharing one final poem just to close this out? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I, I would like to share, uh, I'd like to share this poem called Storms. Okay. And, um, I wrote this during some of the, the heat of things and, uh, wrote this during a a lot of the turmoil when I first left and right after my false arrest. Um, So it's called Storms. Today, I realize I am not alone facing a storm. I am not even with others facing a storm. I am not even hiding out in the calm center eye of a storm. I am more than all of that. I am a storm. Actually, all storms as I see God and God is in me, creating the calmest storm with the strongest breeze, with the most loving breeze. I am now changing my weather however I please, and still I am a tool to be used however the universe deems. And we are human family, as destiny is what it is, cannot break the unbreakable, cannot jail what God made free, cannot divide, hate, conquer, make unequal, that which is all one entity. And we are human family, as truth is what it is, cannot break the unbreakable, cannot jail what is forever free, cannot divide, hate, conquer, make unequal, that which is all one entity. And from this place, there is peace, there is love, faith, strength, and humility, and also hostility when necessary, and its beauty Even the distractions of our storms are beautiful. Even the distractions from our purpose hold beautiful lessons. And all is calm, even while stormy. There is everything. And also, we are, each and every one of us, everything. Mm, What a perfect way to end. (laughs) Thank you so much for being on the show, Kristen. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Everyday Creative People. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Please don't forget to subscribe to future episodes and rate the podcast. Leave a comment and make sure you tell your friends to come listen. And remember, we'll be back with another episode next Monday. 